0: it from Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. As I mentioned this morning, there's uh, something going on through the country. It's a uh, spontaneous revival. It wasn't planned. Uh, definitely wasn't scheduled with uh, anyone, and it began on the 8th of February there at Asbury University there in Kentucky. Uh, that's a Methodist University, and it spread to a uh, another university down in uh, Alabama, Birmingham, I believe that's a Baptist university, Samford. There was another university mentioned in uh, uh, uh report, and I understand that other things are happening. So we have this spontaneous outpouring of God's Spirit sweeping across the country. And when we think about revival, it's understandable that's what we would think about, and that's an accurate term. Uh, but this passage of Scripture tells us there's, There's more aspects to revival than that, uh, and we want to be sure and get the whole picture. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to with, speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, the multitude came together, and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Look. Are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Peter, of course, stands up to preach in verse 40, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. In that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread. And in prayers, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revival. We thank that you're working all the time. Father, we pray for this movement that's sweeping through the young people and universities in our country. Father, we ask that you would reach hearts, that you would change lives. And Father, that uh, this would be a mighty work with lasting influences. Thank you for working all the time. And we thank you for these outbreaks where publicly things are happening that's an encouragement to the church. And Father, we ask that you would be with us as your church right here to be sure we're doing your work your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's always good when this kind of thing happens. And that's generally when, of course, a church is in revival. When a lot of things are happening at one time. Things are happening very quickly, a lot of people coming at one time then you you realize when this kind of growth happens you say my the church is really in revival well let me ask the question when this kind of event is not happening is it correct to assume that god's not working because we'll look around and say god's working in a mighty way because of what's going on the last few weeks and a lot of times when things happen here and a lot of members come at one time we have a revival effort or something big happens man God's at work here. Is it correct to assume that God hadn't been working at the other times? Is revival only limited to that uh, periodic outpouring of a spiritual awakening? What was happening before this? As we look and see what was happening at the church, was this when the church started working or God started working in the church? Let's look at what these people were doing and see exactly what was happening. And it's very encouraging. What were they doing before the day of Pentecost? Number one, they were fully expecting God to do something, sometime. In chapter 1, verse 4, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. John truly baptized with water. You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He told them to wait in Jerusalem because he said the promise of the Father is coming. And you'll see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They knew what this meant through their Old Testament experiences that they had read about. This would be an empowering. This would be something. And it wasn't happening now, and they did not know when it happened. Now, we see that it happened on the day of Pentecost. They didn't know it was going to happen on the day of Pentecost. It was not like, well, I can't wait till Pentecost comes. They didn't know when it was going to happen. In verse 12, it says, Then when they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. So Jesus said, don't go home. You all need to stay in Jerusalem And you all need to wait for the promise of the Father. God's going to do something. I promise you this. And they all went to Jerusalem. And they waited. And they waited. And they waited. We don't know how long it was. You can probably do the math and know it's a period of days and days. But they didn't know that it was going to be on the day of Pentecost. But they were faithful. They knew God was going to do something. And how do we know that they knew God was going to do something? They were obedient to what Jesus said, told them to do. He said, look, this is what I'm telling you to do. Wait at Jerusalem. God's going to do something. When we really know God's going to do something, it'll make a difference in how we obey Jesus. And they obeyed Jesus. That's what was going on. They knew he was going to work, and they were following his instructions. Well, we go a little bit further. Verse 13, when they had entered They went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They didn't just go up there and sit. They went up there and they were praying together. They were waiting, knowing God was going to do something, and they were praying together. Now, it'd be real easy to say this. Well, the scripture tells us praying together brings real revival. Oh, it's better than that. Praying together doesn't just bring real revival. Praying together is real revival. When the church is praying together, that is revival. Here's two things that are happening. There's unity in the spirit. They were praying together. And they were with all one accord. You know, Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verse 11. He said, and God, I'm praying that they'll be one, just like you and I are one. He prayed. He knew it was important for the disciples and all the believers to be together, to be in one accord to be unified in the spirit. And eight different times in the letters in the New Testament, Paul admonishes the people to strive together in one spirit, to be united, to not be divided. Eight different times. So they were already together. They were already with one accord, and they were communicating with God. Eight different times in the letters. Paul admonishes the church To pray together. Jesus told us as his disciples to pray together eight different times. And so we understand praying together already is revival because God's people are in one accord and God's people are talking with God. I don't know of any other better symptom of a revival happening that people are talking with God and communicating with them. So we understand it may not have been a big public outpouring. It may not have been a time of of excitement, but it was a time of genuine communication with God. And thirdly, and this this will probably be a surprise to you, they work together to address a need. We kind of look at this particular passage in brackets, that it really does not fit in with everything else that's going on in the book of Acts. Look in verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. And said, men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst in the middle, and all of the entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So the field is called, in their own language, a which is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, and no one live in it, and let another take his office. That's in the 109th Psalm. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. Now you might say, isn't that something? They must have been a bunch of Baptists because they had a business meeting right there in the upper room. They decided they had to have a business meeting. A lot of times scholars will stop and say, man, isn't that like that? All this thing going on, they had to stop to have a business meeting. What was Apostle Paul thinking? That that was just an interruption of what God was doing. Really. You see, they saw a need for 12. Because it would be real easy to say, why do not just leave it alone? Why couldn't just 11 guys be there? Why would they have to be 12 apostles? Why they have to replace him? Well, if you remember in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus said, those of you who followed me will sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Now there were only 11. There were only 11. So according to them, according to what Jesus had outlined, they said, There needs to be 12. There needs to be another one. There's no way they could have known about the Apostle Paul because a lot of people argue that Matthias really wasn't that apostle. It was the Apostle Paul. We know that the Apostle Paul was one born out of due season. They couldn't have known about him. And besides, the Apostle Paul was not one of them. Their ministry was primarily to Israel. The Apostle Paul's ministry was primarily to Gentiles. They replaced this man in good conscience, knowing they needed their circle. So let's look at the qualifications. The qualifications are, this has to be a man that's been with us since the days of the baptism of John, which meant he was with them at the foundational days of Jesus' ministry. And we know then, by that, that in Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 16, it says, Jesus went up to a high mountain to pray, and he he prayed all night long. And he gathered his disciples together, and of these he chose twelve. So that tells us there were more than twelve on the mountain when Jesus chose the twelve. These two men were there. They were of us. They were with us from the time of the early days of Jesus' ministry and John the Baptist all the way up to right now. So these men had been with them. And so they said, here's the, the people we need to, to have, the eyewitnesses of his resurrection. Then their choice was, of course, they they drew lots. This was in consistent obedience to Old Testament customs. So we realize that they stopped, and you might say they stopped to have a business meeting. What were they thinking? Because nothing kills a revival a little bit more than a business meeting. You know, they're so tedious. Well, it was tedious, but it was necessary. They worked together to address a need and to keep their work going as they knew it should be going. So, let's summarize it. Times of refreshing are great, and they're necessary. They're necessary. Sometimes churches need a time of refreshing, and sometimes we need it personally, don't we? We all do. But in the meantime, the lasting ref- effects of revival are this. Number one, people are expecting God to do something. We don't know what it's going to be exactly. And they didn't know it was going to be this this tongues where they could communicate to people all over the world. They didn't know what it was going to be. They didn't know when it was going to be. All they said, all that Jesus said was the Spirit will come upon you and you'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He didn't give them any specifics. They just knew sooner or later we know God's going to do something big. They expected that. And they were praying together. And they were working while they waited. Now, it's kind of tedious work. It was a business meeting, but they were working while they waited. So I want to say what we did this morning. Revivals, the exciting times that we see when we have that mountaintop experience are just beautiful. And the exciting times we're seeing now Let me tell you, that revival that happened back in 1970 through the early 70s, as I mentioned this morning, it was exciting. But after the exciting time, the effects of that were still being felt with the men that God lit a fire in their heart and continued Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, faithfully preaching the word, who went with the tedious work of getting a doctorate degree, and it is tedious work, and serves at seminaries now, semester after semester after semester. And they were so thrilled to share with me that time when a fire was lit in them. But it wasn't all that, was it? It came to the point where they settled down and they just put one foot in front of another and have stuck with it. And you see, that's as much a part of real revival as the exciting times. So, do I think the the revival that's going on in, in Asbury and Sanford All is it a legitimate thing? You bet. I think it's real, I think it's exciting, I think it's encouraging, and what's even more exciting is I know from personal experience. The effects of this will last for decades to come. Let's make sure that our mountaintop experiences, our time of refreshing, our time of revival doesn't stop when the excitement dies down. It continues when we know God's going to do something and we obey. We pray together in one accord and we just keep on doing the work together. Is there anything before we close?